So we welcome you to message number five, this in our series of ten messages. As we are studying these ten kings in the Old Testament, we're calling it the king-size challenge because the Bible is challenging us with the lives of these ten Old Testament kings. We're looking at their defining moments. All of us face defining moments. And a defining moment is a moment that defines your life. Depending on how you face a defining moment, it will, depend, it will determine the outcome of your life in a very significant way. And the key scripture is Romans 15.4 that says everything written in the past was written to teach us. Now written in the past, written about these Old Testament kings, and God's given us this in the Old Testament to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So we're looking at these ten kings to get instruction and hope and encouragement to face our defining moments because we're going to face these same ten defining moments. And this morning, we're looking at Ahab's king-size flaw. Now, all of us have character strengths and character weaknesses. I'll never forget a moment in my life where I became acutely aware of a character deficiency in my life. And it was my senior year in high school. Throughout high school, I took great pride in getting straight A's in P.E. And so my senior year... The teacher invited us out one at a time from the bleachers to the center of the gym, and he gave us our grade. And so he said, Tyler, B. And it just, I can't tell you, just rage, shock, horror came over me. And I just, I started fuming at this teacher. I lost it. I stormed out of the room. I remember the gym door. I kicked it. Walked out, got on a payphone because they didn't have cell phones back then. And I called my dad at work, and I just, Dad, Dad, started going off on this teacher. And I'll never forget these six words that my dad said to me after he listened to me for five minutes. He said, Mark, you have an attitude problem. <laughs> and it was at that moment I realized, you know, I do have an attitude problem. Now, some character flaws aren't that big. And uh, the consequences for those certain character problems, deficiencies, aren't that great. And that's often why we kind of get away with these character deficiencies, because there aren't that great, the consequences. But then there are other character flaws. And if we don't make a mid-course direction or correction, adjustment, devastating and even catastrophic consequences can come to our own lives as well as the lives of others. Now, this morning... We're going to come face to face with Ahab's king-size flaw. If we don't face this king-size flaw correctly, and guess what? All of you, every person in this room has to face this issue, this king-size challenge. You are going to face it. You're facing it right now. If you don't face it correctly, wow, is your life in for pain and difficulty and frustration and destruction. Your life's going to go one way or another, depending on how you face Ahab's king-size flaw. A little background about King Ahab. He reigned over the northern kingdom of Israel from 874 B.C. to 853 B.C. So he reigned 22 years. He was in office. He served as the eighth king of Israel, the northern kingdom. More is written about King Ahab than any other king in the Bible of the divided monarchy. 
1 Kings 16 to 22, seven chapters describes his reign. And it's impossible for us to cover everything about his life. I'm going to be focusing in on his defining moment. Let's see if you can identify Ahab's king-size flaw. It's not difficult to see. Take your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 16, if you would. Let's just read verses 29 to 30. 1 Kings 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, here's our king, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Now I have a picture here I'm going to bring up to you. I don't know if you can see. Here again is the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's Samaria, the capital, where King Ahab reigned. Now look, if you would, at verse 30. It says this, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Did you, did you see that? I want you to see it with your own eyes. This is God's account of a man. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Can you imagine that being said about you? Ahab, the most wicked of all the kings in the Bible. His evil was so wicked, it led to the total destruction, watch this, of his entire family being wiped out, annihilated. We're going to study that story next week. Wiped off the face of the earth, as well as the eventual, watch this, destruction of the entire northern kingdom because of this guy's evil. It was that bad. Did you spot his flaw? It's not that difficult to see. His flaw, evil. Evil. Picture Ahab being born. You're his parents. This little boy's born. All the hopes and dreams you have for this little boy. You're looking at him holding that little child. Picture little Adolf Hitler being born to the parents of Adolf Hitler. All the dreams and the hopes. Picture little Charlie, little Charlie Manson being held. Picture little Jeffrey Dahmer and the list goes on and on and on. Here's the question we're going to answer today. How can someone turn so evil? How? Why? Why does it happen? Because they face their defining moment wrong. Wrong. Now, we all struggle with evil in degrees. Genesis 8, 21. Every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Hey, all of us struggle with evil. But the question I'm asking this morning is not, do we all struggle with evil? It's, why do some snap? And go so extreme. What could cause a person to have this degree of evil that God would say he did more evil in my eyes than any other king? What causes someone to turn so evil? How could a 22 years young Adam Lanza on December 14, 2012 kill his mother 
and then go to Sandy Hook Elementary School, elementary school children in Connecticut, and murder 20 elementary age children and six staff members. It seems that some people, evil goes unchecked. It becomes unbridled. It leads them, and even sometimes us, to levels of evil that defy our imagination, and we can't imagine why we ever went there. Every person in this room must face Ahab's king-size moment. What will you do with the evil that's in you and around you? Which way will your life go? You will either become more evil or less evil. You will either feed evil or starve evil. What will it be for you? Why did Ahab turn so evil? Why does anyone turn so evil? To face Ahab's king-size flaw, we must understand why Ahab turned evil and then avoid the way Ahab turned evil. So the whole morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give three reasons why Ahab turned evil. Three reasons. Ahab turned evil. And three reasons why anyone turns this evil. We're going to start with 1 Kings 18. Now, this is the story here. And we're going to lead our way into the first principle of why he turned evil. This is the first, uh, you know, it's a story here of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We love this story. But tucked away into the fabric of this story is a verse that describes for us the first reason why Ahab turned so evil. But let's consider the story. Chapter 18 and verse 2 says, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So here's Elijah the prophet going to Ahab the king. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Due to Ahab's sin of Baal worship and other atrocities, God placed a uh, famine on the land. And yet now Elijah was to go and confront Ahab. Ahab been seeking to kill Elijah, and Ahab had since killed many of the prophets along with his wicked wife Jezebel, and yet Elijah is called to go meet and confront Ahab. Notice if you would, verse 15. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah, who's Ahab's servant, went to meet Ahab and told him, guess what? Elijah, he's going to present himself to you. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? This is what Ahab's saying to Elijah. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel. Meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a big old showdown here. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. We'll talk about that later who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled all the prophets, the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Then they're going to have a standoff. We know this. Read on. The people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets, one against 450, Get two bulls for us. <coughs> Let's let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, and, but not set it on fire. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set it on fire. Then you call the name of your God, Baal, and I will call the name of the Lord, Yahweh, 
And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good contest. Let's do that. So we know what happens, right? They slash their bodies. They're crying out to their God for hours. And Elijah's heckling them. Maybe your God's on the toilet. Ha, ha, ha. You know, he's too busy to listen. You know, all this. And nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, we know what happens. Verses 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell after Elijah prayed, burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. I have a picture here. This is when we were in Israel just a bit ago. This is uh, Mount Carmel, where the battle would have taken place, the contest. Literally, we're standing on it right here where the altars were built, and Elijah and Yahweh showed himself to be the one true God. This is the Kishon Valley, right down here, where the prophets were taken and literally slaughtered, right there. That's also the Valley of Armageddon. Isn't that interesting? The prophets, anti-satanic individuals against God, uh, were slaughtered here, and this is also where the greatest battle on earth that will end the history of the world as we know it will be fought. Okay. Now I want you to go back to chapter 18, verse 21, and see something here. Because you've never, maybe never thought about this in context. But Elijah says this. And he's saying this to Ahab primarily. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. This verse describes the condition, the soul of the king. Ahab was divided. He was uncommitted to the one true God. Here's the first principle. Why people turn so evil? Ahab was unconverted and therefore unprotected from evil. Ahab did not know God and therefore Ahab went without God's protection. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, and he preached a sermon once where he said this to his own people as he's preaching. He said, my wish for you is that you could go to hell for five minutes. Why? Think about it. If you and I went to hell for five minutes, we would come back absolutely transformed by that experience, preaching the gospel everywhere, because we would never want someone to experience the horrors of hell. I think all of us here in this room would be absolutely shocked if we could actually see the spirit world. I'm talking about Satan and his host of demons and how they operate, especially in the lives of people who are unconverted and don't know God. See, when you belong to God, God protects you from evil. When you do not belong to God, you have no protection from evil, beloved. Do you understand that? Because you're rejecting God, the one who protects us from evil. You don't have God. You are on your own against the forces of Satan and his hosts of demons. That is a battle you will not win. And we wonder why there's so much evil in the world? Come on, just open your eyes. And let me give you an extreme story. First funeral I ever did was for a very good friend of mine who I grew up with, John Costelli. Long story short, I don't have time to tell the whole story. John was possessed by a minimum of five demons. 
these demons ultimately threw him out of a hotel window to his death. There were times that, and I can tell you conversations I had with John, he saw his demons. He had relationships with his demons. When he walked, he knew his demons. He would tell me about times he'd go into shopping centers and he'd see his demons pick fights with other demons. Some of you are saying, that's crazy. Okay, you think that's crazy. You need to please open your eyes and understand what the Bible teaches about the spirit realm. But let's just consider what the Bible says about God, Ahab, Satan, and his demonic world. You, want, you think that story's crazy? Well, let's just look at the Bible. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. Trying to make the point right now that if you are unconverted, you are unprotected from Satan and his demons. Now in 1 Kings 22, this scene takes place just before Ahab's death. But it perfectly describes how an unconverted person is unprotected from evil. King Ahab of the north and King Jehoshaphat of the south Judah, decide together they are going to retake a city called Ramoth-Gilead, which the Arameans had taken from Israel. And King Jehoshaphat, he knows the Lord. He has a relationship with God, this king of the southern kingdom. And he says to King Ahab these words in verses 5 and following. Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, let's first seek counsel from the Lord. I mean, we're going to go to battle. Let's get counsel. Let's, let's hear a prophet of God say, yeah, this is what you should do. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men. Now these are prophets of Baal. And asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Jehoshaphat, he asked, is there not, not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? I mean, a true prophet? Well, the king of Israel, Ahab, answered Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imnah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. Don't say that. Don't push this guy away. This is the, the Lord's true man. Well, verse 17. Then Micaiah answered, this is, I saw all Israel scattered. This is his prophecy. On the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one of them go home in peace. In other words, Israel is going to be decimated in this battle. Verse 18, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? And now, watch this. Micaiah is going to give us a picture of the spirit realm, of the things that happen behind the physical things we see. Look, verse 19. Micaiah continued, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting in his throne, on his throne. So in heaven, on his throne, and all the host of heaven sitting around him, standing around him on his right and his left. So you got the Lord sitting on his throne, you got angels right and left. And the Lord said, the Lord asked a question, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? God had decreed that Ahab was going to die for all of his sin. One suggested this and another that. So you got one demon, I got an idea, another demon, I got an, another idea. Finally, a spirit came forward. This spirit, most scholars, virtually all, believe this is Satan, Lucifer. He came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. 
I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. And God said, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. False prophets. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Isn't this fascinating? There's so much here that I don't have time to unpack at all. But demons even doing, do God's bidding at times. Do you understand that demons and Satan is in the presence of God? This, this happens right now. Angels are in the presence of God. This is what the Bible teaches. And demons do God's bidding. The king, Ahab, he had no clue that he was being manipulated by his own demonized prophets who were enticing him into his own death. Here's the question. Why do people do the evil they do? Could it be by chance that they are unconverted and unprotected from evil and Satan and his myriads of demons? Could it possibly be? Duh! I mean, why would James Holmes burst into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and open fire, killing 12 and wounding 7 others? Do you think there were some demons speaking into him to do that? Why would ISIS today take a family, rape the mother in front of the father and the children, and then in front of the father behead those children, and then behead the mother, and then finally behead the father? Why, why would that happen? It, it upsets me sometimes when I hear the media ask questions of why, and no one gives an answer. Do you think we'd ever look at what God's Word says about the battle we're in? What does the Bible say? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan does. Who is behind all this evil? Come on! Wake up! Satan! His demons! This is what the Bible teaches. We are in a battle. Mmm. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, beloved, we're in the latter times. You don't believe that. You're just blind. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. If demons infiltrate 400 prophets of Baal back then, think of all the false prophets today, the false religious systems and cults. Who is speaking? Every person, everyone, every preacher preaches from a spirit behind them. Every time you speak, there is a spirit behind you. The Holy Spirit, there is an evil spirit. That is biblical. Hmm. 1 John 5.19 We know that we are children of God. Hallelujah, huh? Get an amen out there? And because of that, guess what? We're protected. You are protected if you're a child of God from evil. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Did you get that? The whole world, that's the world there is unconverted humanity, is under the control, the power of the evil one. And so I sometimes I break, I listen, the media, I'm like, come on. Who's going to stand up and tell the truth? Well, I don't know why. I think it's society. I think it, it's Satan. It's his demonic host. No one talks about the truth behind the evil, and yet the Bible reveals it again and again. Can it get any clearer than Ephesians 6.12? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against 
the powers and principalities. I mean, our struggle is not a battle of flesh. It's a, battle, it's a spiritual battle. Wake up, America. Wake up, world. Wake up, church. Wake up, Mark. You know? Okay. You got, a, you got a husband, ladies, who isn't going to church because he thinks it's for wussies? Have him watch this video, okay? And then get this book called Unfiltered. This is the star of the Duck Dynasty. Phil Robertson, Unfiltered. Finally, a guy who speaks the truth in love. And he's got a chapter here called Good and Evil. Finally, a guy. Yeah, he's extreme. He's radical. I like the guy. I don't agree with everything he says, but this is a good book. This, is, this needs to go to a man who just thinks church is for wussies. Great book. Or for a woman who, like, has hair under her arms. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just joking. Don't give me any letters. No emails. Page 174, he says this. Make no mistake... Evil is here, and it's organized. Satan and his mighty throng of evil demons that are with him gain control of the hearts and souls of men and women worldwide of the unconverted. And therein, planet Earth is a big battlefield. This is a big battlefield. Wow, we got to keep moving. I'm never going to get through this message. The point is this. We're answering the question, why do people turn so evil? First reason is because they're unconverted. And they're unprotected and incredibly susceptible to evil. And by the way, just wait for what's coming on this world after the rapture. You, you just wait for what's going to happen to this world when the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is taken from planet Earth, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.7. Get my series on the end. And just listen as I go through the book of Revelation and talk about the judgments of God and the horrors of evil that will descend on this earth in ways that are unimaginable because people are unconverted and they will be totally then unprotected from evil. Right now, there's a protection even on the unconverted. You want to know why? It's through Christians. The church, can you imagine the church taken out of this world? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit taken out of this world and the evil that will descend and Satan and his demons running free without gods? Okay, go at it. Wow. That is where this planet is going. That's what the Bible teaches. But we're getting off track, aren't we? First reason Ahab turned evil. Ahab rejected God. Let me tell you, you reject God. You are unconverted and you are unprotected. That is a scary place to be in, beloved. And I'll show you, because we'll talk about it at our tables right now. Here's your discussion question. Can you share about someone you know who, being unconverted and unprotected, did evil beyond comprehension? And guess what? For some of you, that was you. There was a time in your life when you were unconverted and unprotected, and you did evil. And maybe you would be willing to talk about that at your table. How does someone turn so evil? Well, first of all, they're unconverted and unprotected, so they're incredibly susceptible. And second is this, Ahab sold himself to do evil. You see, it starts by being unconverted and unprotected, but then, it's, then it continues as you continue to fall into evil, which you like more and more and more, until finally it comes to the point in this in your life where you say, I'm just going to sell myself to evil. 
I'm going to sell my soul to this. You see, if you don't give your soul to God, what is left? Satan, his demons, evil. They're a vortex wanting to just suck you in by any means possible. Can you sell your soul to evil? Of course you can. Just like you can give yourself to Jesus, you can give yourself to Satan and his demons and evil. And people do it all the time. Notice how Ahab sold his soul to Satan. 1 Kings 21. Now this whole story here, this chapter is a dramatic example of just a little bit of the evil that Ahab sold himself to. I'm running out of time here, and I'm going to have to go quick. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab in Samaria. Now, I've got a picture here. Just bring this up. This is literally a picture of Jezreel, where this vineyard could have been. And let me read the story. Ahab said to Naboth, the king says, hey, give me your vineyard. I just have to summarize it. And Naboth says, no, I it's part of my inheritance. Land was holy. You passed this down to Jen. And, and Ahab said, I want it. Please give it to me. And, and Naboth said, I can't do that. So he goes back to his palace, all angry, upset. And Jezebel comes in, what's going on? And he goes, well, a, you know, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. She goes, I'll come up. I'll, don't you just go to bed. I'll figure this out. And she sets up a whole scam where she hires a bunch of people to curse Naboth at a feast and tell everyone that he cursed God. And they took him out and they stoned him. They killed this man. Let's pick it up. Verse 11, so the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed. And they placed some scoundrels there, stoned him. Look at verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that, he had been dead. Uh, he said to you know, Ahab, get up, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but he's dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard. Verse 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says, you have not murdered, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, Ahab. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male of Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air will feed on those who will die in the country. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Wow. People do evil because they sell themselves to do evil. They make covenants with evil. They're inclined, and it goes further to a commitment to do evil. Ahab made the choice to sell his soul to do evil, and evil followed. It resulted 
it multiplied. It's like a snowball effect. Judas sold himself to do evil for 30 pieces of silver. What is your cost? Because there is an enemy who will be glad to dangle that before you. Evil multiplied and Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan and his demons are ever on the lookout for someone who will open themselves to do evil and will sell themselves to do evil. Satan looks for a foothold in someone's life, an opening. And when it opens a crack, he comes in. That's the second reason Ahab sold, uh, turned evil. He sold himself. And guess what? There are stories at your tables about this. Let's talk about it. Have you ever known someone who sold themselves to do evil? Talk about that. You've got a couple minutes, guys. Go for it. Ahab was unconverted and unprotected. He sold himself to do evil. And third is this. Ahab aligned himself with evil people. And you saw it there in verse 25 of 1 Kings 21. Never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by who? Jezebel, his wife. People who do evil, you study this in history and you'll find this to be true, always place themselves in relationships where they are urged on by other people who have sold themselves to do evil as well. Hitler had his Himmler for the murder of some six million Jews. Eric Harris had his Dylan Klebold for the mass murder of 13 unsuspecting young people at Columbine High School. Bonnie had her Clyde. And Ahab had Jezebel. He willingly married a demonic, pagan, godless woman. She, Jezebel, the most evil, demon-possessed woman in the Bible, the daughter of the king of Tyre, a pagan king. Let me point out a few things about Jezebel. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. And let's just read a little bit here of the corruption and evil that she brought. Verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which were unbelievably horrific, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship Baal. This is the king of Israel. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, that he built in Samaria, the capital. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Let me give you a short list of Jezebel's evil, some of which is mentioned here. She corrupted Ahab's hearts, and God warned against marrying pagan person because of this very issue that would take place. She imported and forcefully nationalized Baal worship in Israel. You know that while Jezebel and Ahab were married, worship of Yahweh was outlawed. Sound familiar anywhere in the world today? 
Wonder who's behind that. She built a temple to Baal in the capital city of Samaria and raised up hundreds of priests. Now, some of you wonder what Baal looks like. So I have a picture here for you. This is Baal. Some of you are like, what's Asherah? Baal is the male figure of the Canaanite uh, fertility god. The god of the heavens, the god of the elements, the god of weather, the god of... Uh, the land who provides crops, that's Baal. Asherah, the female deity. Often a smaller stone to the left or right of the male, Baal. Sometimes a pole. Here, she's figured there. Now, you can imagine, this is just outside, but can you imagine what Baal worship looked like in the capital of a temple in Samaria? The massive image of Baal that was there. Jezebel imported this. She sought to completely destroy the religion of Yahweh from Israel. I mean, wipe out the religion of Yahweh from Israel. She persecuted and slaughtered untold numbers of God's prophets. She threatened Elijah with death. She lied about murder and then stole Naboth's vineyard. And we could keep going on. But how evil was she? God, the Bible describes her evil life and death with these words. Turn to 2 Kings. Chapter 9. Let's look at this real briefly. We'll study this more in detail next Sunday. But chapter 9, 2 Kings, verses 6 and 10. Jehu, we'll look at him uh, next Sunday. He got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured oil on Jehu's head. So he's being anointed a king and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. And I'll avenge uh, the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, where the vineyard was, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. We'll talk about that story next week. But look at verse 30. This is Jezebel's death. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, think about this picture, she painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. Two, three, four stories up. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of my master? I'll explain that phrase next Sunday. He looked up at the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in and ate and drank. So I mean, he just like goes into the you know, local Starbucks. And then he, after has his drink and eating, he says, Hey, take care of that cursed woman. He said, bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. Think about that at lunch today. They went back and told Jehu, who said, this is the word of the Lord, that he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite on the plot of ground at Jezreel. Dogs were devoured Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot of Jezreel so that no one will be able to say, this is Jezebel. Wow. 
Third reason, Ahab turned evil. Ahab aligned himself with evil people, namely Jezebel. People do evil because they align themselves with evil people. Is there a principle here? Is there a warning here for us? Yes! Guard who you align yourself with. Watch your relationships. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, 20, a companion of fools suffers what? Harm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good characters. Let's talk about this in your relationships, in your observations in life. Have you known someone who, because they aligned themselves with someone evil, did evil? Talk about that. Let me uh, wrap this up by answering a question. I mean, how do we apply this to our lives? I mean, how do we apply this whole Ahab and everything we've heard and Jezebel and all this evil and Satan and demons and all this? Let me give you two ways to avoid turning evil. How do you avoid turning evil? Becoming more evil as time goes on. First is this, learn the lesson. Understand why Ahab turned evil. I mean, really, in your mind, understand this. Think it through. He was unconverted. He was unprotected. He's wavering between two opinions, never committing himself to God or to Jesus, we would say, today. And he just kind of got sucked into the vortex of the power and evil and, and then ultimately it led to him selling himself to this, his soul to this. And then he just aligned himself with someone incredibly evil and it went to a point where I, I fully believe that Ahab's parents never believed their little boy and I believe Ahab never believed in his life he would go there. But he did because he was unconverted and unprotected. And he just sold himself to that. And he found someone in life, a partner, who rejoiced in that sort of evil. So you've got to understand, there's always a pattern. Satan is real and his demons are real, but they always work according to a pattern. And what's the answer for us? Avoid the ways Ahab turned evil. Avoid it. Everything written in the past the Bible says, was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So do you see the lesson that Ahab teaches us? Ahab doesn't teach us what to do. He teaches us what not to do. Ahab doesn't teach us what to follow. He teaches us what not to follow. And I see another New Testament Scripture that just jumps off the pages at at least for me, in 1 Corinthians 1, 6 and 11, that also speaks about the Old Testament and how we should apply it. Where Paul says, now these things occurred in the Old Testament as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they, Ahab, did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. And God has given to us, in the life of Ahab, a huge warning, warning, warning. Seven chapters preserved as a warning from God about the potential of evil 
that can wreck our lives. Ahab's king-sized flaw, he turned to evil. But guess what? He didn't have to. He just faced his defining moment completely wrong. He chose to remain unconverted and unprotected. That was his choice. He chose to sell himself to do evil, his choice. And he chose to align himself with evil people, his choice. He got the natural consequences of those choices. Now these things occurred, and maybe this message has occurred today as a warning to us, and it is a warning to me, to all of us, if you're watching on video, this is a warning, a moment where God in His grace comes to us, and in His love, His love and His tenderness warns us. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. These things happen as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Let's pray.